like you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And here's where we are. We've been looking at mind over heart. We've been dealing with uh, some issues dealing with our emotions and the struggles with our emotions. We started with looking at, at uh, shame, guilt and shame, and we feel guilty, we feel ashamed. We said that shame is the fear of being found out, the fear of being discovered for who I really am, and that vulnerability is some sort of a weakness rather than a strength. And the Bible's pretty clear, we're to confess our faults, our sins, one to another. We're to bear one another's burdens, and that's what the church should be about, not hiding, all right? And I stated last week, I said, you need, we, all of us need to find people that we find safe in life, really safe. And a safe person is somebody who is loving, has certainly some wisdom, but is also somebody who is very, very forgiving and non-judgmental. A person who is safe is somebody who is loving and non-judgmental. You feel very comfortable going into their zone, telling them whatever your struggle is. And I gave you a couple of illustrations last week of some people that uh, certainly bore that out in our church. Today, we're going to be looking at um, fear and worry, and then next week, anxiety and depression. So as you can see, uh, this is not a light subject that we've, we've been working our way through. A lot here, and again, we spent two weeks on just the subject matter of shame. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to have you follow along with me when we read verses 19 through 21, and then I'm going to jump down 25 to 34. So here's what we read in verses 19 through 21. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jump down, verse 25 and following. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable than, the, than they? Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add one single hour to his life, or maybe even a, a, a few inches to your height? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is sown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the Gentiles, run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father, we pray right now that you would truly open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. We do pray for Eric and Ed uh, tomorrow, uh, that the surgery would go well and all would be healed. And now, Father, I pray as we open up this text that you would reveal things to us we've never seen before. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to tell you very honestly and very straightforward, I have taught on this text before. I have heard other teachings on it. And it's always troubled me 
there are things in it that trouble me. And I think I finally, having really poured over it this last week, that I think what has troubled me has been resolved. And I'm going to share that with you in a moment. And that is this. I, for whatever reason, I don't know why God gave me this. I don't necessarily think it's a gift. It can be good. It can be bad. But I have a very wide-angle lens when I look at life. Some people see things, they're, they're in these various lanes, everything is neatly organized. I don't see life like that. Even when I'm reading Scripture, and if you've been recently reading through the Bible with us, you know full well, particularly if you've never read the Bible before, you're coming across some texts that you're saying, what? What? That's in the Bible? Or why would God do that? Or, man, I got a problem with that. The Bible is very complex. Well, let me tell you, in, in my way of thinking, with my, what I call my wide-angle lens of thinking, there are things that are good about it, and there are things that are bad about it. The things I think are good about it, it gives you a little bit uh, a, a more of a, of a bigger view of life in some areas that some people may not see or even be curious about, and I'm curious about a lot of things. Where it gets me in trouble is, like when I was in school, and I would take a true or false test. And I would call the teacher over and say, it could be true or false. And he or she would say, no, it's one or the other. And I would say, no, it could be both. And they would say, why do you say that? And then I would give them the answer. And they would go, you might be right. Just pick one. You know, <laughs> Same thing with multiple choice. I'd say, I can think of three more choices. Oh, you know, yeah, I give it to them. Wide angle lens. All right. That's how I, that, but it gets me in trouble when I'm driving and following, you know, it says, take your next right. And I did this one time. I turned into somebody's driveway. <laughs> um, that's what it said. My wide-angle lens took it very literally. So it's, it can be good in some areas and bad in others. So here, let me tell you what troubles me about the text as I look at it. Number one, when Jesus says, don't worry, how do you do that? How do you just not worry? It sort of reminds me of Nike, just do it. Or just say no to drugs. It's real, real easy. How many times has somebody said to you, oh, I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, you've lost your job or you've got a bad health report. Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, how, how, how do you do that? Uh, that's troubling to me that it's stated almost so nonchalant and casual. But the more I've looked at it, there's a lot more in here than meets the eye. The second thing that troubles me is this. I don't believe that at face value, this text is true. Now that sounds like a terrible thing to say of Jesus' teaching. You know, I've taught here for years. I believe the Bible. I believe that Jesus is teaching. But let's be real honest. Here's my wide-angle lens. I read here that he's going to take care of you. He's going to clothe you. He's going to feed you. And then I travel. And I see people that are starving to death and naked, that are Christians. How does that fit? Read that to them. Tell them, tell, read that to them. And I'll tell you, if you do read it to them, they'll say, I don't think you really understand that text. There's much more to it than just physical clothing or food. It's much deeper. And the more I started reading this, several words and connective words started falling into place. And that's what I want to sort of wrap our arms around as we go through this today. Because this is a this is a deep, deep text. So I keep thinking, every time I come across any of the teachings of Scripture, particularly the teachings of Jesus, you many times scratch your head 
And he wants you to say, there just might be more to it that's on the surface here. So that's what we want to take a look at. So, the first word in verse 25 is, therefore. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? All right? So, right off, it starts off with, therefore. And many times you may have heard a pastor or somebody say, anytime you see the word therefore, look around to see what it's there for. Why is that there? Because it's reflecting back to something that was said earlier. And what is said earlier is, in verses 19 and following, it talks about, don't lay up treasures in this world, lay up treasures in heaven. The treasures in this world are subject to rust and moth and decay. Treasures in heaven are eternal. Oh, Oh, so you are, you are saying, therefore, you need to go back and you're talking about an eternal value system. You're not just talking about food and clothing. You're talking about something that's eternal. You're just not talking about money. Where your treasure is, there's your heart also, because where your treasure is, there's your worry also. We worry about what we treasure most. And so I look at this and I'm reminded of, and, and I forgive me if I mentioned this when I gave my report on the Amazon a few weeks back, but I don't know that I said it or not. But when I was teaching the pastors down there, I said, here's one thing that every single message must contain. If you preach five ways to have a happy marriage or six ways to raise kids or whatever, and you don't have it attached to eternity, it's just a message. It's just information. It must be attached to something that's eternal. All of Jesus' parables and teachings go back to something that is eternal. Therefore, he's going back. He's pointing out the context. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is dealing with the eternal kingdom that starts now. That starts now. And so he says, therefore. And what I thought of when he, when he says, therefore... He says, is not life, and this is what really got me, and I circled it, is not life more, that's another word, more important than food and the body more important than clothes? So I wrote down, life is more important than what sustains it. Isn't life more important than food and clothing? That means that life is more important than that which sustains life. Oh, oh digging in. You know, what's so interesting about the teachings of Jesus over other wonderful teachers and philosophers and everything else, you can sit and start looking at a text and you can start coming at it from different angles and different things and all of a sudden, so many more things bubble up that I don't think any secular teaching can bring to that level. There's, there's great poets and a lot of wonderful music and things, but there's something about Jesus' teaching where he is trying to get you to really think deeply about what he's saying here. Life is, is, life is more important than what sustains it. Uh, the body is more important than what clothes it. But let me tell you, that, that will not go over well with Madison Avenue. Because Madison Avenue in the world will tell you about what you need to eat, what you need to drink, what you need to wear, how you need to look, the fashion that you need to be, all the different things that are out there. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, let's just, let's, let's pause here a moment. Let's take a pause. Life is more important 
than that which sustains it. Which means he, he's talking about an eternal perspective of life, what life really, really is. Do you know in Scripture, uh, somebody did a study on this years ago, and, and it's interesting what people decide to study. I wouldn't have thought of this in a thousand years, but there are four basic reasons that the Bible gives for clothing. One is for covering, because we're naked and ashamed. We were naked and not ashamed prior to the fall, naked and ashamed. So there's covering. There's also clothing for protection. There's also clothing that shows what kind of service you're in. You could be in the military, you could be a paramedic, you could be a waiter. And also that which distinguishes men from women. There is nothing in Scripture that talks about fashion. Let that sink in, both men and women, all right? Or I should say women and men, all right? All of us, fashion. Now, I realize I'm a fashion plate, but that's, you know, that's uh, about as bad as Bruce's joke. Uh, we should be fashionable. Uh, we're not going to dress like people did in the 1800s and so on. But Madison Avenue wants you to fear and to worry that you are not up to speed with fashion. And the Bible says nothing about being fashionable. It gives you those four other, other reasons. So Jesus is starting to, to drill down here a little bit, and he's saying, I know that in this world, you think that food and drink and clothing, that that's the real thing. I'm telling you that life is more than that. Life is more than what sustains it. Uh, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts type of thing. Now let's look at verses 26 and 27. He says this, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add one single hour to his life? Again, this is not carte blanche. Name it and claim it. Uh, you know, the birds are taken care of and the lilies of the field, therefore you'll always be clothed and so on. Generally speaking, that is true. I've seen God provide for me in the most amazing, amazing ways. But he is also speaking here to a particular group of people. And these are some people that are going to be sent out amongst wolves and, and difficulties and everything else. So I don't know that you could take this particularly just for us or for all time. Because as I said, even some of his own people were persecuted and, and went through very, very difficult times. But the principle is there. But the real principle, the real truth is not so much about food and clothing. It has to do with, have you developed a sense of an eternal value system? Because once you do, it dilutes the sense of worry and fear. And fear is what drives worry. It's what gives birth to worry. There are good fears. It's good to fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's good to fear a rattlesnake. That's a very good thing to fear. But we cannot fear what we cannot control. We cannot fear about what's going to take place tomorrow. We can't be borrowing into that. And so that's the idea here. And so Jesus is constantly looping back to this idea. And we'll see this even more deeply in some more texts about the sense of developing a sense for eternity, which doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment that you believe. The moment you believe, you enter the kingdom. The kingdom is eternal. Not fully consummated yet, as we've studied when we went through our whole kingdom uh, study. Let me read this to you. This is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. You don't need to turn there, but listen, just listen 
to this wording in Ecclesiastes. Whoever loves money never has enough. There's a fear of not having enough. There is a worry about not having enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Proverbs says the eyes of man are never satisfied. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. The more stuff you have, the more you have to insure. The more accountants you'll need, the more lawyers you'll need, all the things. So he says, as goods increase, so do those that consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? All you can do is just look at all the different things you own, but you can't even enjoy them. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep, unless that rich person has an eternal perspective. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy, as long as you have an eternal perspective. You see, what's interesting is, Jesus is leveraging so many uh, narratives, starting all the way at the very beginning and moving all the way through Scripture. There's this never-ending push towards getting a right focus. Where your treasure is, there will your worry be. Because we worry about those things we treasure the most. It could be our reputation, it could be stuff, it could be any our job, it could be anything. And that's what we have to be careful about. Look at verses 28 through 30. 28 to 30, we read this. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not uh, even Solomon was arrayed like one of these in all of his glory. Verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. O you of little faith. Uh, when the Bible says fear not, I think it's mentioned like 300 and something. I think it's the most reference statement over and over again. Fear not, fear not. And he talks here about being of little faith. This is not the only time that Jesus makes statements like that. He's not, he's not rebuking. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get his disciples and others and those who read this to understand that faith is the ability to look beyond our natural horizons. Faith is the ability to believe what God says. And so I would invite you, you can hold your place here in Matthew and turn over to one book, turn to Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read this, and I'd like you to read it with me. Just think about it as you're reading through it. I'll read it out loud. Mark chapter 4, this is the calming of the storm. Listen carefully to this reading, starting in verse 35 of Mark 4. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown or perish? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith, or you have little faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, why do I bring that up? Because Jesus makes this statement. 
he says to them, let's go over to the other side. If Jesus says we're going over to the other side, that means we're going over to the other side. No matter what storms you encounter, we are going to the other side. Now, this is a temporal example. It's a temporary example. It's a physical example of being in a boat in this real world and leaving one place and going to another place. And he says, we're going to get there because I'm saying we're going to the other side. But what it reveals to them when the storms come up is a type of fear that we're not going to get to the other side. A type of worry that we're not going to make it when he said we would. Now, let's translate that into an eternal value system because this is simply a temporal statement that's designed to get us to understand something about the eternal statement. Does not the Bible say that all those that are in Christ will get to the other side? Yes, they will get to the other side, the final side. They will get to the new heavens and the new earth. What don't we understand about that? That's exactly what he's saying to these people. Oh, you have little faith. And so by taking a temporal example in Mark 4, we move that into an eternal example as we see here when he talks about not worrying. Because what Jesus wants us to really grasp and understand is that this life is very short and it's a vapor. And we are in the kingdom and we will go through storms in the kingdom but we will eventually get to the other side. With health issues and financial issues and all the different things we have to face in this life, that's where we're going. And what Jesus wants us to understand is when you, through this life, and we'll never get there perfectly, through this life, if we can learn to be thinking the way he is teaching us about eternal matters, then, then life's problems begin to shrink. They dissipate. They're diluted. Uh, our worries and our fears and our anxieties, and everybody has them. Don't anybody tell you they don't have any fear, any worry, any anxiety, any depression. Everybody does to some degree. But the beauty is, and the power of the gospel is, we will get to the other side. Now look at verses 31 to 34. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the Gentiles, run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you have need of them. Now look at verse 33. This is a very well-known, very famous verse, all right? But seek first his kingdom, or some of yours might say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So here, tucked right in the middle of this, or near, near the end of this, is seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. He is saying, seek it, seek its righteousness, understand what it is, understand that you're in it, understand it's eternal. And he's got all these little statements buried in here. If you sort of connect them, all of a sudden, this isn't just, oh, don't worry. He, he's not saying that. He's saying, will you take a good hard look at what I'm saying here? Will you think really hard about what I'm saying here? Because when he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that literally refers back to 19 in chapter 6, where he says, 
Don't lay up treasures here, lay up treasures there. Because he's connecting eternal systems here. Eternal systems. And when these systems are, are, are really part of, the, of our entire lives, everything begins to change. You don't need to turn here. Let me just read something to you. It's interesting to note that as we're going through the Bible, if you're on that reading program, you will, you're going through the Psalms. And have you noticed, <clears throat> if you're going through the reading, it says, take a deep breath and read. Then when you get to the Psalms, it says, you know, get ready to really meditate upon the Psalms. All right? If you're going through the Psalms, you will see anxiety, fear, worry, depression, guilt, shame, every human emotion known to man is all throughout the Psalms. And they're not, not all David. There's Asaph and David and others that write the Psalms. But here's what's so interesting, not in all Psalms, but in a number of them, it starts out with a tension, a real problem with what God is doing. And then it resolves the tension. Listen to this one. Very short Psalm, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Ever been there? I have. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In other words, where are you in the midst of this difficulty? What's going on? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Sounds like depression, anxiety, worry, fear, something going on here. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Eternal perspective. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Starts out very depressed. Where are you? Finishes on a high note. Did that take place in one afternoon? That might have been years. Years of him looking back at some struggle, some difficulty. that just seemed to go on forever. And then he attaches it. Oh, but my salvation's in you. Over and over and over and over again. We find the Apostle Paul. In Philippians, he says, he talks about, uh, you know, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather die and go and be with the Lord, but it's good that I'm still here to minister to you, uh, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Look at that attitude. Kind of a mm, nonchalant, take it, leave it, that's fine. But Paul has come to a place in his life where with all that he had been through, he had learned to see and develop such an eternal perspective that it made the struggles and trials of life seem momentary and light, as he says in 2 Corinthians 4. I'm not there yet, folks. Not there. I <laughs> See, I feel like lots of things that weigh heavily upon me. But the beauty here is that the more that I attach my struggles and my problems to an eternal value system, the less I worry. Several things we can walk away with today. Worry is fueled by fear. There is good fear. There is also unhealthy fear. We worry most about what we cherish most. Here's somebody that's thinking, oh, I, I, I don't think I'm going to get into Harvard. I don't think I'm going to get into Yale. I never worried about that. At any rate, okay. Uh, uh, or somebody doesn't think they're going to have this, get this job or whatever. But if, if you look back and you listen to somebody who's a little bit older in life, and they say, well, I wanted to go to that particular school, and I didn't get in. 
But I did get in over here, and I was so disappointed, but that's where I met my wife. And this is where I ended up having this, and I got a job. God's in charge. God is in charge. And if you knew how things would turn out, you wouldn't have worried about it. But there are so many things, so many things we, that we are concerned about. But this is why the college and reputation and money and finances and everything have to be connected to that which is eternal. Every mind has a parking space for worry. And most of us are double parked. Every mind. Every mind. I wake up every day with all the issues of life and everything that just, they just come flooding in. And God says, he isn't just saying, Mike, stop worrying. He says, will you go back and look at this and see if there's a much deeper and richer measure here of what I'm saying? This life is really short. And troubles and trials are really short. No matter what they are, they're still short because life is short. And you have all eternity to look back at some of these things. And this is why he's trying to connect us. So I, 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 even the Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Sounds so simple. But by prayer and supplication, take your request to the Lord. And we find this. You know, I'm even, even now with this uh, coronavirus, we're looking for an antidote. Listen to this. This is just kind of your, your tagline. Our worry is directly related to our understanding of eternity. That's the antidote to worry. It's, it's having an understanding of eternity. The more we understand that, the more we lock into that, uh, life's problems, though difficult, they won't go away, uh, we, we see them from a completely different point of view. Now, when I think of the number of people that are, that are here today, it's possible that maybe you've come in, maybe you've been here for a while, uh, or maybe you're, you're, you're visiting here today. Maybe you haven't heard this type of thing before, uh, looking at, at the Word of God from an eternal perspective. And maybe it sounds a little, hmm, kind of boastful that you can say for certain you know you're going to be with Him forever. Well, it's, it, we're not boasting in the fact that we're good people or that our religion will get us in or anything like that. Our boast is in the Lord. Our boast is in the Lord Jesus Christ that died and paid the penalty for our sin. And our sin is what brings so much worry and shame and guilt and fear and everything else so much in, in our lives. And he paid for that. And he offers eternal life to any who will come to him by faith. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, weary, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So I invite you this morning, if you've never put your faith in Christ, to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. It's not based on how good you are or your church membership. It's based solely on what Christ has done for you. It's been paid for. And if it's been paid for and you've received it, we're going to the other side. Because he said so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word to see what you have to say about an eternal value system. And all of us have worries right now. Every one of us. Fears, all kinds of things. Father, let us learn as we grow uh, in this understanding of eternity that we'd be really linked to it and strengthened by it. And Father, I pray that not one would leave here today without calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ to give them everlasting life and be assured of going to the other side. Now, Father, we pray that you bless this final number. We thank you that you bless this day and encourage our hearts in it. In Jesus' name, amen.